Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. This episode is a historic one, another historic episode. This one is being recorded in beautiful Margaret River in Southwest Australia. My wife and I, we try to come to Margaret River once a year. It's our favorite place in Australia, to be honest. And while she's upstairs watching the tennis, I've ducked down to uh, the bedroom of our Airbnb to record this podcast for you. If you haven't visited like rural Western Australia, regional Western Australia is where it's at. It's another it's another world out here. And I don't just mean the beautiful beaches, the beautiful scenery, but also the culture, the people. It's it like it's nice to go to a place where political correctness like hasn't kind of infiltrated yet where you know wokeness just isn't a thing here and I'll, I'll tell you why i'll tell you how i know that because just a couple of years ago one of our first trips to Margaret river we were here over australia day and i was listening to like the local fox fm station in southwest australia and to celebrate australia day this is a true thing that the local Fox FM show was doing. And I've mentioned this to so many people and no one believes me, but I know it happened. I listened to it on Australia Day. It would have been like maybe 2017 Australia Day, maybe 2016. I tuned in and to celebrate Australia Day, the two hosts of Fox FM that day were encouraging people to call in to the station and to sing the Australian National Anthem in a an accent of their choosing, and the host would have to guess which accent the national anthem was being sung in. Now, you're probably thinking, surely not. You're probably thinking, like, surely if that had happened, I would know about it. Surely that would be national news if radio hosts were, were encouraging people to call in and to sing the national anthem in their best Chinese accent. Surely that would be grounds for losing your job. That would be a national story because of how offensive that would be to, to most Australians. But it never made the news. It, it wasn't, it was never reported. And I remember like looking at my wife in the car and being like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. There is a man from regional WA who's definitely not Japanese, singing the national anthem in a Japanese accent, and the hosts are cracking up and laughing, and they're trying to guess if it's Vietnamese or Indian or Sri Lankan. And I remember looking to my wife and being like, well, surely this is going to be the biggest story on Twitter, like within 15 minutes. Like, surely this is going to be a national news story because you can't you can't do an accent on the radio you, you can't do that that's that's grounds for termination and there was no news story nothing came of it and i think that's when i realized that once you leave the cities no one really gives a shit about political correctness once you leave, and it could just be, maybe it's a Western Australia thing, but really, like, once you kind of get out into the country, once you start passing some farms and you start seeing cows and horses, 
you really can do whatever accent you want. You can do it on the radio. And there is something, because, and this is what, the reason why I appreciate it, because the people who were calling in and doing those accents, they weren't doing it maliciously. Like, the whole point of doing it was to actually celebrate Australia's multiculturalism. Like the whole the hosts were like, hey, the best thing about Australia is that we're a multicultural society, and on Australia Day every year, a lot of people get their citizenship, and we love that. We welcome that. And as a result, we want to celebrate all the different accents that make up Australia. And that's why they were encouraging people to call in and do their favorite accent. Obviously, no one went for, you know, the the white accents. No one was calling in and doing the American accent or the British accent. People were like, well, this is my chance to whip out my favorite Vietnamese accent. You don't get the opportunity to do your Vietnamese accents on the radio very often. And so, of course, you know, a lot of people in regional WA were like, well, you got to take the opportunities when they present themselves. So the reason why I love it is because it wasn't malicious. It wasn't malevolent. Yes, it, look, it might have been offensive. It might, If you were a Vietnamese person tuning in and you heard someone doing a very, very bad Vietnamese accent, you might be offended. But also, let's remember, there are no Vietnamese people in regional WA. So there was kind of, I guess, no one to be offended by it other than... Me and my wife listening in and being like, this has got to be, this is surely offensive, right? I think me and my wife might have been the only people offended by it. And I think that's kind of the beauty of this part of the country is that like people are so pure and innocent and naive. They haven't been told yet that it's racist to do another person's accent. They still see it as a beautiful tribute. And I think there is like some beautiful... There is some beauty in that innocence. There is some beauty in that naivety. And honestly, maybe it would be nice if to maybe it would be nice if we were all like that. If we were it would be nice if we weren't all so scared and fearful of offending each other that we were happy to whip out a few accents every now and again. Because I do think that accents should be fine if they're good. I think it's fine to do another like if you can do an impression of another accent, not in a mocking way, not in a mean way, but to do it accurately, I think it should be fine. Because the rules around accents are kind of arbitrary and hypocritical when you think about it. Because no one has an issue with doing an American accent. You can do a you can do a mock American accent, no one gets offended. You can do a mock British accent, no one gets offended. You could do a mock Russian accent or Italian or Greek. No one really gets offended by that. If you do a mock Indian or, or Chinese accent, then all of a sudden you start getting into murky territory. And I get that because historically, people have done those accents by in order to, to mock and ridicule. I understand there's a historical context for that. But if you're doing it just because you're really good at the accent and you can nail it, then I think it should be absolutely fine. Now, were the people calling in to Fox FM in 2016, doing their best Filipino accent. Were they nailing the Filipino accent? No, of course not. I mean, yeah, I think I can confidently say they were not very good at it, but and, and they should not have put it out on the radio until it was practiced and perfect and less offensive. But my point still stands. That it would be it would be not it's it's nice to live in a world 
where people were less worried about offending others, where the, where you could do an accent and people would assume that your intentions were benevolent as opposed to malevolent. And that's what I think is nice about this part of the country, is that there is a purity, there is an innocence to people. People haven't been conditioned to assume that everyone has the worst intentions. And I think that's nice. I think that's nice. I hope you've been enjoying the summer in Australia. I hope you've been enjoying the tennis. I've just I've just been watching the Australian Open, and I do like the Australian Open because you do get a lot of foreign, usually American commentators coming to Australia to to commentate the games. And what I like about that is they often give a bit of an insight into Australians. They give it. They they kind of let us know how we're perceived around the world because some because a. One of the commentators just said something very insightful, I thought. I was watching the game and watching the match and one of the players accidentally framed the ball and the ball went out into the crowd and someone in the crowd caught the ball quite cleanly and then the crowd clapped and cheered for that person. And the commentator, an American lady, she said, Australians love it when someone in the crowd catches the ball. And... I'll be honest, that could be the most insightful thing I've heard from an American about Australian culture in years. Because it is true, we love it when someone cleanly catches the ball. And I think it's because... I think it's because when someone catches the ball in the crowd, everyone's like, hey, see, we've got skills too. Sure, the tennis players are good. The tennis players are the stars of the show. We accept that the tennis players are very good at what they do and they're skillful and that's great. But don't forget about us in the crowd. Australians are a coordinated bunch of people. We've grown up with a tennis ball in our hands or a cricket ball in our hands. We've grown up playing backyard cricket. We've got skills. And when an Australian in the crowd gets the opportunity to show that off, by catching a tennis ball cleanly, it makes us all feel proud to be Australian because we get to show to the world, hey, you know, don't f- sure the tennis players are good. Let's not forget about that's that's good what they're doing on the on the court, but there's a bit going on here in the crowd too. We're also we're pretty good at this too. And and to be honest, you know, if you let us play, we might actually be better. I think that that's. I think every Australian has that in the back of their mind when they're watching tennis. Because every Australian does... Most Australians think that they could be a professional athlete in the right circumstances. If you speak to... Particularly most Australian men. Like, if you speak to an Australian man, there is a part of them that's like, I could have gone pro, but you know, life got in the way. I could have gone pro, but, you know, I I rolled my ankle in year 10 and then had to give up footy. Or I could have gone pro, but then, you know, I had to get a real job and become an accountant. There's a lot, I think there's a lot of that mentality in Australia. Because athletes and sports is such a big part of our culture, most Australians played sport at some point and most Australians 
did have thought at their at some point in their lives that they could become a professional athlete. Even I thought that at some point because when I was ten, I won the award for most determined player for the under ten Ajax Football Club Jets. And I remember when I when I won that award, there was a part of me that was like, well, the AFL beckons in a few years from now. You know, I'll just this is the start of that journey. You know, first you win the most determined award in under tens, and then eight years later you're getting drafted as a top ten pick in the AFL, and then of course you go on to have an illustrious career. Surely two or three Brownlow medals, a couple of premierships is is inevitable for me and obviously that that wasn't on the cards and I think to be honest the the most determined award that I received from my coach was basically you know they have to give everyone an award you know it was essentially a participation trophy like I got it because I think I turned up to training on time the most which was really more uh, credit to my my mother who dropped me off for training on time at 6 30 p.m on a Tuesday and Thursday throughout the year. I think really that award was just, should have, it should have gone to my mother. She was determined to get me to training on time, but you know, for whatever reason, we don't, we don't obviously give credit to our parents. We, you know, it's the kids that gets the recognition. So that was essentially a participation award. And, and I do know that baby boomers and and older people, it's a bit of a cliche. They rail, they rail against participation awards because they don't prepare children for a lifetime of hardship for, for failure in the real world. And they do somewhat have a point when I look back at my childhood because that most determined award did make me feel like I was a superstar in the making and that I could go and become a professional athlete. So... I think when I think there's a lot of criticism of participation awards and I can see that some of it might be legitimate because I was 10 years old and I thought that I was going to become a professional athlete even though I still cannot kick a football more than 25 meters. So the point that I'm trying to get at here is that deep down in the psyche of pretty much every Australian male there is this belief that we could have, should have, would have become a professional athlete if not for something beyond our control impacting our lives. And so when we see someone in the stadium catching the tennis ball cleanly, that is a reminder to us that we still got it, that we, that it, that we could have played professional tennis or professional cricket or professional Australian rules football but we had to give it up in order to settle down and have a family and have a normal career. So it is so nice to hear American commentators give that kind of insight into Australian culture. I don't think that lady who made that comment understood what she was communicating when she said that. I think she was just she just found it funny that we do clap and cheer when one of us in the crowds does catch the tennis ball. But I don't think she understood that she was really hitting something deep in the Australian sports psyche. Because usually, I will say, I mean, the American tennis commentators, they're usually not that not that insightful. I mean, it, typically, if you're watching the Australian Open, it's, it's usually just they, they fly Jim Courier out from, the, from America every year. They fly him out to Melbourne, 
And his job is essentially to comment on the physique of the male players. He's Jim Courier, and he's very good at it, but that's essentially the insight he offers. Like he'll they fly Jim Courier out, and he basically says, oh, tell you what, Djokovic's calves are looking pretty good. And they are looking good. They are looking good. But it's not a particularly insightful comment to be like, hey, Nadal has got a big left arm. We know. We know he's got a big left arm. We know that. So it's nice to see an American commentator, you know, just just really touch on something that we all that we all believe deep down. That we too could be professional athletes. If only we didn't suffer that shoulder injury when we were 15 years old. I've been watching Australian Open and something that still frustrates me, I know it's been happening for the last couple of years, but just the hypocrisy of it just continues to build and build and builds. They're still not showing the Russian flag next to the Russian players. So a couple of years ago, I think it was like two years ago when the war between Russia and Ukraine started, the ATP decided we're not going to display the Russian flag next to uh, Russian athletes. And it was, and same thing for Belarusian players as well. We're not going to display those two flags because they are the aggressors in this war between Russia and Ukraine. And from the outset, I was like, well, this is problematic because it, it where does it end? Like, where do you draw the line? Because, of course, Russian invasion of Ukraine is bad, but so too is, you know... America's imperialism in the Middle East. So too is Saudi Arabia's indiscriminate bombings in Yemen. You know, and, and of course, you know, it, w- it would be interesting to know what they would do if there was an Israeli tennis player competing in the Australian Open. What would they do? Would they not show the Israeli flag? I mean, I'm sure that there would be a lot of international pressure not to show the Israeli flag. So, Fortunately for the ATP, Jewish people are typically very bad at sport. And that's not like, I'm not being anti-Semitic when I say that. I am Jewish and I've seen Jewish people play sports over many years. I went to a Jewish school and we were very, very bad at sport. I mean, I mean, I played football for the Ajax Football Club, a Jewish football club, and like I said, I got an award for just turning up to training on time. So all I'm saying is that excellence is not something that Jewish people strive for in sport. We absolutely are very excellent when it comes to academics. But sport, it's... I, I used to I used to tell this story that a lot of people didn't believe. But when we were like 10 at my school, we had a sports day every year. And we would do it on Melbourne Cup Day, which was just... And I used to talk about how I, I just I don't know what event was more cruel, like to to force Jewish children to do sport or you know the horse race. I don't know what was more doing that to the horses or making all these asthmatic you know kids run around an oval you know all day. We were literally this is true. We were once doing the shot put. This is like grade five, and there was a girl in my year level. I won't say her name, but she literally was doing the shot put. And she accidentally threw the shot put behind her. 
Like she did like, it was like she scored a negative two meters on the shot put, which was actually a very, very impressive throw at the time because most of us weren't even throwing at the negative two. So all I'm saying is like the ATB is lucky that there aren't many good Jewish athletes. There used to be Duty Seller, but I think he's retired now. They're just lucky they don't have to deal with this issue of do we show or not show the Israeli flag. But they're still not showing the Russian flag. They're still not showing the Belarusian flag. And it's just preposterous because who are we trying to protect at this point? Like, because I was watching the game. I was watching the match the other day and there was like a Russian lady playing and they had blacked out the flag next to her name. But then the commentators still described her as Russian. So we still know they're Russian. We And so who, who are we trying to protect here? Just... Just show the flag. Also, the Russian flag, most people in Australia wouldn't even know, wouldn't even be able to recognize the Russian flag. It just looks like all the other, you know, Eastern European flags. If you put the Russian flag on the screen, I think most people would be like, is that, that could be Serbian for all I know. I mean, it's blue, white, and red. We wouldn't even, we wouldn't even know. I don't know whose feelings we're trying to protect here by not showing the Russian flag. Yeah, we get it. Russia is doing some bad shit in Ukraine. We know that's bad, but their flag still exists and we still know these guys are Russian. I, th- I remember at the time, the ATP was like, no, we're not going to show the Russian flag because Putin will use that as propaganda within Russia to help promote his war. I, I just, I don't see how that works. I just don't see how Putin is like, hey, see that flag? in the bottom left-hand corner of the Channel 9 uh, coverage of the Australian Open, well, that's that means that we're doing great in Crimea. I just, there's no connection between the two. It's it's clearly just, you know, virtue signaling from the ATP. They, just, they don't want to be seen to be supporting Russia in any way. But I don't think anyone, no reasonable person would look at the Russian flag next to Medvedev and think, oh, oh, so obviously the ATP supports the war crimes in Odessa. No reasonable person would do that. I don't know why we're catering for these, for the unreasonable. And also, I just think the ATP is so hypocritical because, you know, of course, the, you know, they condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which, of, which you know, I think any right-minded person would. But then at the same time, then they're expanding into Saudi Arabia. They just recently hosted a big uh, event in Saudi Arabia at the end of last year. So it's it's so strange to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but then to also be like, yeah, but that country over here that periodically dismembers journalists and, and stones gay people to death... We're uh, we're okay with that because they have money and they have oil. I mean, it it's just the hypocrisy builds and builds and builds every day. Just come out and say, just be honest and say, look, it's about the money. It, I would just I would appreciate and respect the honesty so more if the ATP came out and said, look, right now we're not getting a lot of money from Russia, but. Saudi Arabia has a big sports fund and they're pouring a lot of money into us right now. So 
that's where it is. Just I just think the ATP, it would actually be more honest if they just put a dollar sign next to the Russian players instead of instead of nothing. If they just if they just said, look, hey, if Russia, you want the you want us to put the flag back up, well, it's going to cost you some money. Saudi Arabia knows how to do it. They know how to create a sports fund. They set up a golf tournament, tournament the LIV. They're setting up another fund now to to build tennis a tennis academy in Saudi Arabia. That's how you do it. If you want, if you want us to show your flag and you want us to support you guys, it's going to cost you. You got to start writing out a check. I don't understand why they can't just be honest about that. And you know, Rafa Nadal has just been um, uh, announced as the new like ambassador for the Saudi Arabian Tennis Federation. And everyone's attacking Nadal and being like, how can you support, how can you support what's happening in, how can you support Saudi Arabia? Well, we're all hypocrites because if you're, if you're going and buying petrol, you're kind of supporting Saudi Arabia. Let's be honest, because that's where the petrol, that's where the money's coming from. We're all hypocrites because we all want to condemn Saudi Arabia and being like, oh, it's so bad the way they they treat women. It's so bad the way they treat gay people. It's so bad the way they treat migrants. It's so bad what they're doing in Yemen. But at the end of the day, it's all about the money. Everyone's attacking Rafa Nadal for taking the money. But the ATP has taken the money from the start. And we all part- we're all compromised because we all buy petrol. We're all compromised. And I just think it'd be nice to live in a world where people were just honest where people just came out and said yeah it's about the money it's always been about the money just let us let us enjoy the money so john McEnroe has come out and condemned the atp because the atp is planning to host some women's tournaments at the end of the year and you know we all know that women are not treated very nicely in saudi arabia and john McEnroe is like you know well how can they how can the ATP allow a women's tournament to go ahead in Saudi Arabia when we all know how poorly women are treated in that country? Because they're writing checks. If you write out, if you write a check, you can kind of get away with anything. And I just, I respect, I don't respect Saudi Arabia, but I respect the way that they're just honest. That they're just like, hey, we're an oil-rich country. We got the disposable income. We can write out some checks and we can force you guys to make a decision. And of course, the ATP and everyone is just always going to be driven by money. And that's just the way the world works. That's just the way it works. You can't expect, you can't expect these people, you can't expect Rafa Nadal to turn down $50 million. I'm, look, I'm, I'm sure the guy has made a, some good money over his 22 Grand Slam victories, but the man is like 37 years old. He's looking at the future now. Rafa Nadal needs to make sure that the money, you know, lasts a bit longer. You know, I, sure, he made tens of millions of dollars, but, you know, the sponsorships are going to run out eventually. The sponsorships are going to run out eventually. I mean, the man's balding. He's not going to be getting any Ashley and Martin sponsorships anytime soon Rogaine isn't going to go knocking on the door I don't know who wants who wants Rafa Nadal's sponsorship 
in the, at this point of his career. He's 37 years old. I don't know. I mean, is Duolingo going to sponsor him? I don't think so because, you know, his Spanish is good, but his English, not great. It's it's Who's going to sponsor him? Uh, I don't know. He's got big arms. Is he going to get sponsored by Fitness First? I'm just saying it's it's easy for Nadal to be like, oh, yeah, all I have to do is is turn up in Saudi Arabia a couple times a year. Take the money. Take, that's what everyone does. That's what everyone does. And I think that we're all compromised because at the end of the day, if you're driving a car that's got petrol in it, you're kind of morally compromised too. Do you know who's not morally compromised though? It's billionaires. Because billionaires are in the news this week. And I got to say, for once they're in the news for for a good reason. So I read this story over the last couple of days. Some billionaires went to the World Economic Forum, some real big billionaires like Disney people and uh, and, the, and some really, really famous actors who were like multi-multi-millionaires. They went to the World Economic Forum and they signed an open letter that was delivered to the World Economic Forum and they said, hey, World Economic Forum people, you guys have to start taxing us more. So all these billionaires and millionaires signed this open letter saying, guys, there's so much inequality in the world right now. And the only way to solve it is by taxing us more. Now, first, let me just say this. It is nice to see billionaires in the news for a good reason. Because when I saw that there was a story about billionaires and the World Economic Forum, I was like, oh no, this is going to be some awful story about how there is a, this is going to be that conspiracy theory all over again about these, there is a cabal of billionaires who are, who have set up a shadow world government and they're using the World Economic Forum to, to pull the levers and to control migration at the US southern border and it all comes back to the Jews running the world. Like that's, I was like, sure, as soon as you see billionaires World Economic Forum, it's got to be about the Jews running the world or it's got to be about some global pedophile ring that's being, tra- that operates through the World Economic Forum in Davos in Switzerland. I was like, surely it's going to be something nefarious like that. But instead, it was actually a nice story about these billionaires being aware of their privilege and saying, hey, you, sh- you should tax us more governments should tax us more and that would reduce inequality in the world. So if I was it was nice to see that this was not an evil story about world domination or conspiracy theories or Jews. It was nice to see that this was billionaires coming out and trying to correct inequality somewhat. But I don't think the solution to solving inequality is taxing billionaires and millionaires more only because I don't think governments are very good at spending money. If you look at the way that governments spend money, it's usually not well. Usually it's in a corrupt manner. They'll just give it to, you know, their friends in order in order to get some contracts from the government. Or they'll just waste it. I mean 
Australia is like so. If you look at Australian governments, we're so good at wasting money. I mean, you could tax Australia, you could tax billionaires and millionaires more in Australia, and I just don't know if it would really make a dent to equality because the Australian government would get the money, and inevitably they would fuck it up somehow. Inevitably. The Australian government would be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, sure. We'll um, we'll use the money to fund like a, a new tunnel. We'll build a tunnel, and then twelve years down down the track, they'll be like, oh, yeah, that turns out we tried to build a tunnel, and uh, yeah, when we built it, we didn't realize that there was like some toxic mud in the ground, which is what happened in Melbourne when they tried to build a tunnel under the Yarra. Everyone, they were like, oh, they tried to build a tunnel." And then they're like, oh no, the, the soil is contaminated and now the tunnel is going to take 10 more years to build and cost another $5 billion. Like they tried that in, in Victoria and then when they lost a few billion dollars trying to build a tunnel. You know, there was, remember when we would, we would uh, instead of just how, instead of like processing refugees in Australia, we were doing it in Nauru and Manus Island. And they calculated that it would have been cheaper to literally just host these people in five-star hotels than it was to, like, put them in Nauru or Manus Island. And the only reason they did that was because these companies that got the contracts to build the detention centers in Nauru or Manus Island were just lobbying the government for the contracts. You you, you can't give the government more money is kind of what I'm saying. Because either through sheer incompetence or corruption... They're going to fuck it up. I remember Kerry Packer had that incredibly famous and well-received quote when he was, this was like 30 years ago, he gets hurled in before government. And, you know, all these senators are like, Kerry Packer, you're like Australia's richest man. Why is it that you pay like no tax? And Kerry Packer very famously said, I don't avoid tax. I just minimize my tax. And anyone who's not minimizing their tax needs to get their head checked because you guys aren't spending it very well. And it was interesting to see the way that people reacted to that because on the one hand, people kind of hate, you know, millionaires and billionaires and rich people for not paying their fair share. But also, people respected the honesty of Kerry Packer being like, yeah, well, if I gave my money to you, you guys would fuck it up anyway. So I might as well just hold on to it. So this whole idea of billionaires and millionaires saying to the World Economic Forum, hey, you should tax us more. I mean, it's nice in theory, but that does imply, or that does only work if the government itself is competent and if the government would know how to deal, would know how to handle spending at a few hundred a few extra million and billions, millions and billions of dollars. Really, what these billionaires and millionaires should do is just spend the money themselves on addressing inequality in their own countries. Because if you're a millionaire or a billionaire, presumably you've got some business acumen. Like if you've managed to accumulate wealth, surely you're a smart. You're, you've probably you probably know how to run a business. You probably know how to stretch a dollar so i think that instead of billionaires and millionaires telling the government to tax them more they should just 
spend the money themselves, you know, and, and fix shit themselves. I, honestly, at this point, we really should just set up a... a glo- we, we really should do what the conspiracy theorists are worried about. The conspiracy theorists are worried about a global government, a global shadow government run by billionaires, run by the elite, who are pulling the strings and... and the puppet who are basically the puppet masters behind the scenes. What we really do need is that, but a benevolent version of it. What we need is the billionaires and millionaires not to give their money to the government to to just waste and fuck around with. We need them to just set up their own shadow government of billionaires and millionaires, but a benevolent version of it. So what I guess what I'm saying is if you're if you're a millionaire and you're a billionaire and you're worried about the inequality that you see in the world, uh, just fix it yourself. Just fix it yourself. Just give some money to World Vision. Uh, you know, drop a couple bucks. You know, to the homeless person when you pass them on the street. Fix it yourself. You cannot. You cannot outsource. You cannot outsource this to the government. Because they're going to fuck it up. What we need is a global cabal of billionaires who are using their money for good instead of using their money to traffic children to Epstein's Island. That's that's the world I would like to live in. Is it possible? I don't think so. I just It, it does seem like billionaires... Most of the time, they get to the point where they have so much money that instead of wanting to use it for good, they want to use it to have sex with children alongside Bill Clinton and Stephen Hawking. I mean, that's just unfortunately the reality. I like to hope, I like to hope that one day we'll live in a world where billionaires are using their money to make the world a better place. And if you are one of those billionaires who signed that open letter, you know, good for you. All I'm saying is put your money where your mouth is and use it to make the world a better place. Let's, why not use 2020, let's start off 2024 on the right note. If you're a billionaire, you know, at the time for human trafficking is it's over it's done guys stop it with the trafficking stop it we that's we don't need any more trafficked children what we need is more we need less children getting abused and more children getting three square meals a day i that's what i would like to see this year in 2024 and the way to do that is not to give it to the government they cannot even build a tunnel or a bridge or get the potholes fixed. It's just getting shit done yourself. A bit of a bit of get up and go. That's what I'm saying to the billionaires. Do it yourself. Use your business acumen for the good and make the world a better place yourself. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Feel free to give it a nice review on Spotify or Apple, wherever you review your podcast, listen to your podcast, give it a nice review so that people can find it. Uh, 
I hope that the situation in the Middle East improves over the coming weeks. The Houthis have gotten involved. The Houthis have gotten involved. They've started... Uh, what have they started doing? They've started... They've started interfering with people's ships. That's what they're doing. They're in the Red Sea right now, the Houthis, and they're interfering with international ships. And tell you what, what you and now that's that's fucking with people's money. And now the US and UK are like, okay, well, you know, if you're gonna fuck with our money, we're gonna start blowing you up. So look, I'll keep an eye on that story over the coming week. Hopefully, the shipping routes in the Red Sea chill out. Hopefully the Houthis chill out. If you're listening, Houthis, chill out because the cost of living crisis is bad enough as is. And the more shipping containers you seize, the more shit gets expensive at the supermarket. I went and bought some Carmen's Muesli bars yesterday and they were like $7 for a packet of five Muesli bars. So Houthis... Please don't seize the Carmen's Muesli Bar shipping containers because I cannot afford to spend $7 on some Muesli Bars. Help a brother out. If you, if you seize a shipping container and you go down into the bowels of the ship and there's big cargo containers that say Carmen's Muesli Bars, please let it go. Please, let's... You've got to... Carmen's Muesli Bars. My wife likes her Yoplait yogurt. Please, let's not, let's not, let's leave the Muesli Bars and the yogurt out of this. I don't think Australians should have to suffer the consequences of what's going on between Hamas and Israel. I just think it's unfair for us to have to go to the supermarket and have to cut back on the Yoplait and the Carmen's Music Bars. It's really hurting the bottom dollar right now. Maybe some billionaires can... Maybe if you're a billionaire listening right now and you really want to assist with inequality, maybe you can pay for a few of these ships to be released because, tell you what, right now, it's, it's, it's a rough time in the supermarket right now. It's a tough time. You go in there and the prices are jacked up and you're like, I think the Houthis seize another ship and now I can't eat my favorite nut bars. So we really hope the billionaires can maybe solve the Houthi problem. I hope you enjoy the tennis this week. I hope you enjoy the insights that the American combinators are going to offer. They really do show a lot about they really tell us what we are, the American commentators. They really reveal to us what we are. I'm going to go back to watching the tennis now and and think about how I too could have been a professional athlete if not for the fact that I'm Jewish and we simply do not have that in our genetics. Good night. I'll see you next week.